When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Start a journey, not a fad. Kick off your fitness journey with up to $500 off Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, or Tread Packages. Choose the package that will take your training to the next level with accessories like our cycling shoes, heart rate band, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tread Basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. What up, everybody? Sorry to interrupt the regular programming right here, but Rick and I have to pay the bills, so we're going to run an ad. This ad is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Enjoy the show, guys. What up, everybody? I'm Rob Brandt. And I'm Rick Brandt. And we are the Brothers Brandt. Welcome (laughs) back to episode 64 of the Brothers Brandt podcast. We have an absolute, we have the, the honor and the pleasure to have on an incredible guest. And, and Bill, I'm just going to do this and whatever happens, happens. I'm going to give it my best. Um, so here we go. Now coming to the Brothers Brandt podcast, six foot four shooting guard, number 25 from Orange, New Jersey, Mr. Basketball himself, Bill Raftery. Oh my God! You sound like Zinkoff down in Philly years ago, <laughs> Doctor J. Yeah, shoo, shooting another. Uh, well, thanks for that in, uh, intro. I appreciate it. Welcome to the Brothers Brand Podcast. We're excited to have you on here, Rick. Um, you know, tell the listeners uh, w- the legend that we have on right now. Rob, it would be my honor and privilege to introduce Mr. Bill Rafferty and tell our listeners a little bit about this man. Of course iconic broadcaster on CBS for college basketball for over 30 years. But what you might not know about Bill Rafferty, grew up in New Jersey, dominated the high school basketball scene, scoring over 2,000 points in his high school career. He actually was the state's leading scorer for over 35 years, a record that stood for almost three and a half decades. And then Bill played in college, 
Bill was eventually drafted by the New York Knicks. He coached basketball for several years, and then he found himself in the broadcast booth. And that's, ladies and gentlemen, how we have all fallen in love with Mr. Bill Rafferty. Bill, it's such a pleasure to have you on today's podcast. Well, thank you very much, guys. Uh, how many years ago was it we met down in there? One or both of you, right? In Dallas or Houston? We were in San Antonio, 2018 okay. Final Four. And, you know, we're going to get into Final Fours and we're going to talk about what they mean to you. We are so excited to hear what your thoughts are on such a, you know, iconic event in sports. So, yeah, that was great to meet you, Bill. And just one of the nicest people that I've ever met in the industry. So just thanks for all that you do. It's, it's uh, you know, just a great opportunity for anybody, obviously. And just to be a small part of it, it's, it's so enjoyable. Uh, you know, just, it, our, our hope is never to ruin what is a classic event, obviously. And, you know, with Jim and Jim Nance and Grant Hill, it's become like a, a we really look forward to getting together as much as being involved with these games. So they just bring it to a different level. It's, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for a lot of young guys. And I'm so happy there, you know, it looks like we're getting through this. And I, you know, December, I wasn't sure whether we'd get this far. And I think the whole country felt the same way, but uh, I think administratively coaches wise, you know, kids really buying in. I, I know there's cases where games are postponed and teams have missed two to three weeks, but now, uh, the sacrifice that they all made is coming to fruition. Yeah. Well said, well said. Rob, let's get this thing rocking and rolling here. Take it away, brother. Awesome. Bill, we're going to get into, uh, you know, the final fours and, and that. And, you know, I, in preparation to this, watched, uh, you know, With a Kiss, the documentary you and your uh, son put together. And that was unbelievable. Chills watching it. It was fantastic. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um but you grew up in Orange. Uh, we got three Jersey boys on here. We're from uh, Monmouth County, like we said before. I went to Fairleigh Dickinson, where you coached uh, basketball. And uh, we're, we're from Monmouth County in the Jim Nance era, area. And, uh, you know, you played a lot of sports growing up. You were, you know, an all-state soccer player, an all-state basketball player, an all-state baseball player. What gravitated you to the hardwood in high school? Well, just one slight correction. After being born in Orange, we ended up in Kearney, New Jersey. Uh, that was where we really got into the sports scene. And uh, at that time, uh, as you know, Kearney's well known for soccer. And uh, I guess in the early 90s at the World Cup, we had three kids play in the World Cup. Uh, Ramos, Harks Ramos and Mayola. Tony Mayola was the goalkeeper. So if you didn't play soccer, you weren't considered an athlete in our little town. We had a lot of Scotch-Irish influence from a century before that when they brought them, they had the mills and things like that. So that was like the sport in that town growing up. But we were also fortunate enough to have a lot of guys in our little high school that were older, uh, I would say within 10 years older, that played in the playgrounds. And we would bide our time to get into games. Uh, you know, late in the afternoon, guys would start leaving. You could get in the games with these older people. And it was at that point in Kearney where the older guys were really terrific basketball players. And that was a blessing for me uh, because it was a soccer-oriented town. And it went back to that a number of years after we graduated. Uh, but being from Hudson County, uh, we could go to Jersey City and play up, as they would say you know, get our heads handed to us 
uh, from really talented, tough, hard-nosed kids. And, uh, you know, baseball was one of those things that every American guy played, you know, from Little League on. Uh, so, and then they, there was a delineation of seasons, which sad to say doesn't happen now for young people. You know, soccer was over like early November. We start basketball and that would take us to April. And then you'd go to your baseball. So that's how that all started. Plus uh, my high school had 300 kids, 200 were girls, a hundred boys. And I had trouble getting a date. I assure you, even with, that, <laughs> even, even with those uh, numbers. So uh, that's basically how we got involved in all three sports. Wow. Wow. I love that. I love that. And, and yeah, Car Carney was a soccer hub and, you know, still is. And uh, playing soccer at a high level in college, there were a lot of kids that came out of that Carney jersey. Series. Harrison, yeah, right? Harrison, Harrison too. Yep. Yeah, yep. They, they were uh, with they the used to have bound section. They, they used to have pitches, they called them, you know, that's the word that mostly the Scottish would call them. And they'd have a Scots-American field, Irish-American field, and then Congolium Narum, which was an old business. They had a pitch for their workers. And that's what we would do at night sometimes, just everybody get together, play shirts and skins in the heat of the summer and just run. Uh, Maybe the greatest conditioning sport. You don't realize how hard you're running or how much effort it takes. Uh, so instead of running uh, laps and things like that, we, we actually got in shape innocently and enjoyably. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. You don't realize how much you run and then you like log yourself sometimes with these technologies nowadays and it's like six miles and you just are chasing a ball, making a run. It's, it's not like doing laps. It's not like cross country. Exactly. No, no suicide drills. Exactly. Now you were Mr. Basketball in 1959. Unbelievable. Uh, Mr. Basketball USA, you scored 2,192 points in your high school career, which is truly unheard of at that time. Uh, the all-time record for most points scored in a high school career, a record that stood in New Jersey for 35 years. Um, what was your, what was one of your favorite memories playing high I know, basketball? I, I noticed you didn't mention the assists there. You know, it, 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 it's not all about scoring. You know that. Uh, no, we were, we, you know, it was, we, we played in the state finals four years, the Catholic seed, they called it in those days. And so we had good teammates and good players. Uh, we had size the first two years. And then the second, the, the other two years, I was the tallest on the team, but our coach from the get-go made me a guard. Uh, which to this day I'm thankful for because, you know, going into college, you weren't, you weren't going to be up front bang with the big guys at particularly with my frame, but at least, you know, you knew how to handle the ball to make decisions. And in those days that you weren't a point guard, uh, you know, or a shooting guard, you were a guard. So you had to do those things, but the high school, uh, it just, it was just a blur almost as I look back where, you know, we were just having so much fun. We didn't realize the moment, uh, you know, you collect, collecting your thoughts. You say, geez, you, you know, we lost one, I think one out of the four. Uh, but at, at, at any rate, it, not one particular game, but just a, a great group of guys you played with that, uh, you know, ended up playing a little or not at all, but going out to college and succeeding in their lives. So, but again, it's, it's all about, the atmosphere and we had a great coach he coached us in baseball and basketball Joe Palermo 
and he's still alive in his 90s, believe it or not, wow. and uh, talked to him periodically. You know, he just had a, he, in a sense, molded me uh, as to know, learning the game and doing the right things in preparation for a game. But uh, individual games sort of, you know, it gets lost in the shuffle. You know, maybe a game you lost, as you probably talked to a lot of guys, you always remember games you've lost. I don't know, for whatever reason that maybe if you had made another play or, you know, come up with a big rebound or assist, uh, you could help your team win. But uh, those days were uh, special. Uh, Kearney was a great place to be raised, basically. You know, we had plenty of recreation and we didn't know we didn't have anything because the guy you were playing with didn't have anything either. So it was all about going out early in the morning and making sure you got home at dinner. Blue collar. And that's basically it. I love it. And there's a, there's something after watching the documentary that you put together uh, with, with your son that just stood out to me and it's around your high school, high school career. Um, walk us through when you, when you wrote that letter to St. John's, didn't you write a letter to St. John's saying you- to Louis, <laughs> yeah, like, you- Louis, Louis claims, you know, my mother and father made sure that anybody who had recruited me, uh, you know, you send, thank them for the interest, obviously. So anyway, I just took all the letters that I got and wrote them. And really, Louis's letter was one of those introductory things. It wasn't offering me a scholarship. So he said, you bum, I never offered you a scholarship. What are you sending me a thank you note for? So we, we often uh, we often laugh at that. But, you know, just going backwards with Louis, who's one of the giants of the industry and just a sweetheart of a guy who's alive at 95 and, you know, amazing recall at, at his age. But we, we had played up at Syracuse, Seton Hall now, uh, coaching at this time. And a couple of kids did some things they shouldn't do, et cetera. So Monday, big Monday in those days, uh, our next game, we lose at Syracuse. And we're going to St. John's and they just pound us. At halftime, it's whatever the number. I'll make it up 25 points. We come out the sick. After my great pep talk, we came out. Now we were down by 35. And uh, I, I wrote a note and I gave it to the manager, uh, Tommy Slattery. I said, Slats, bring us down to Lou, uh, the coach. And Lou's down there coaching like it's a tie game. And uh, in the note, it said, Dear Lou, I surrender. Love, Bill. And on the back, on the bottom, I put P.S. You want us to want to want to work out against a two-three zone. So anyhow, Lou gets the note. He looks at it like, yeah. yeah. So we put a two-three zone up just to keep him happy. Right. But uh, if he did that today, he'd probably get fired. But uh, we were ill-equipped to play a St. John's team at that that particular night. <laughs> what a great story! I love that. And for our listeners, uh, when uh, when Bill was in high school, he he wrote them a letter saying thanks for the. Thanks for the offer for the scholarship. <laughs> there was no scholarship. Yeah, Louis, Louis never, every time I see him, he brings up, yeah, bum, I didn't give you a scholarship, you know. But uh, love that. It's, it's just, he was just a special guy, is a special man. Love that, love that. And after a great college career at LaSalle, you know, appearance in the NIT, you were drafted by the Knicks in 1963. What was that like? Uh, it was a great experience. Uh, you know, Eddie Donovan was the coach then. And Eddie had recruited me at St. Bonaventure's. He was the Bonnie's coach, and they had a great run under his, uh, on his watch, I should say. And uh, Red Holzman, uh, who was a friend and then became a, a good friend, a family friend, and I didn't realize it until many years later, 
my mother used to write a note. She's from Ireland. Both parents are from Ireland. And she used to write, you know, she didn't know anything about basketball. Uh, and she used to write him a note. And late in Red's life, he gave me the notes that my mother used to write him. And he, and then we had some that he had responded. I'm praying for the Nickies. That's how she used to call the Knickerbockers. Uh, have a great year, Mr. Holzman. God bless you. I'll be praying for you. That kind of stuff, you know. But at any rate, he's not the he's not the assistant. They only had a scout then. That's what he was. And uh, anyhow, summer they brought a bunch of guys in, and then they eliminated guys. And then the fall, X amount of people were invited. Boward Heyman was a kid who was number one draft pick, and and made the team. So at any rate, go to camp about two weeks, and at lunch. Uh, I guess they call it the Turk. I forget football when they're going to cut you, you know, the knock on the door. So Eddie Donovan wanted to see me at lunch and he, you know, I was cut. So now I, have to, I went back to get my gear at lunchtime, uh, try to get it and get out before the, the, you know, the other like 14, 15 more guys are still there. And uh, I'm leaving and Tom Gola and Richie Gurren, who were both all league players and both in the hall of fame, by the way, uh, I knew both of them well, Tom with the LaSalle, so that's an obvious one. And I'm walking back to my car, and they were, they're walking in, where are you going? And so I mustered up, well, I got cut. And uh, Richie Gurren said, uh, well, Billy, sorry to hear that, but if you need tickets, call Tommy. And I thought that was like a great, like, you know what? It's over, baby. Hit the bricks kind of deal. <laughs> to this day, Richie Gurren denies he said that, but... Uh, what it a, was a great, a great. And, and by the way, when I, I, I went and I got a six pack of beer and I went to my high school coach's house, he had six children and he wasn't there. So I left the, the beer with his wife and I went home and my mother said, what are you doing home? I said, well, I got cut. And my, this is a sort of Irish sympathy. Well, too bad. Go get yourself a job. And that was it. Like, uh, you know, no tears or a gnashing of teeth or anything like that, but a good reality check. And, uh, you know, just it's right. It's over. You just got to figure out something for your life. Love that. Love that. That's, uh, that was great. Wow. Way to, way to kick a man when he's down. At least if you need tickets, you call. <laughs> yeah. That is, it's like a hard kind of a comment to some people, but in retrospect, it was uh, an eye opener. Yeah. And then, and then that, you know, parlays into my next question. You know, you went, you started your, your coaching career, you know, at uh, our alma mater, Fairleigh Dickinson in Florham Park and at mm -hmm. Seton Hall in the seventies. Talk to me about your transition um, uh, to, to coaching and then to broadcasting. Well, when I, I was actually the director of recreation at the same time I was trying out for the Knicks and uh, any rate, we, we, I came back and one of the guys working for the recreation department was a soccer official and uh, Pete Carson was his name. And he said, you know, he's just up at Fairleigh Madison uh, refereeing a game. And the coach, Bob Shields, told me he's looking for a basketball coach, that he didn't want to coach basketball. Bob coached soccer, basketball and lacrosse, you know, on a skinny budget. And uh, so anyhow, I, He's, he said, tell, tell Bill to give me a call. And I did. And I went up for $2,500, I think. And, you know, did it uh, Well, I got a master's. And then the third year ended up as the coach or as a uh, full-time employee. Uh, we weren't going to Sardi's for lunch on the, what they paid me, I assure you. 
But uh, it was a fun time of my life, you know, yeah, coaching basketball. And I actually coached golf and, and taught golf. Uh, and I, I would say, do as I say, not as I do. And uh, I had a better record coaching golf than I did basketball because we had all these kids that were elite players. And we used to go 10 and 1, 9 and 2, whatever, every year. And uh, basketball, we you know, scratched out a few wins here and there. But I always say it was a better golf coach. And I knew less about that than I did about basketball. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And then, uh, you know, transition to Seton Hall. What was like a favorite memory from Seton Hall? Uh, pretty much every day. Uh, you know, we were like anything. Uh, Richie Regan was the coach before me. And he was going to get into the administrative end of things. And anyhow, we, uh, he had, I would say, what you'd call overscheduled. I mean, they played everybody no matter where. So we pared down that a little bit. And then what we did, fortunately, the first couple of years, the Garden uh, was so cooperative. They brought in four or five teams to the Garden for us to play. And we never returned the games. So we played every major power pretty much in my 11 years in the garden and not that we won them all, you know, we'd scratch one or two out of, uh, out of each year. And it was, uh, you know, these young kids that we recruited 72, they became eligible. The freshmen were ineligible in those days. So the, our first recruiting class, John Ramsey, God bless him, passed away, uh, was, was our you know main player uh, that ended up mostly in Europe. And uh, yeah, I think he was the number one draft pick of the Pacers and number two by New York. Uh, one of those players that nobody remembers because he spent his time in Europe. But at any rate, uh, those kids started to make us uh, strong enough to be considered in 79 to be uh, a member of the Big East Conference. And that that's, you know, Dave Gavitt's, uh, you know, dream was to market the East as best as best he could. And I guess the big comparison was always the ACC conference, you know, that they were tobacco road and yet Dave had been playing a lot of teams and realized that we're as good, but we just haven't made it into a real palatable product. Uh, so anyway, in the first two years of, uh, of the uh, big East, I actually, you know, 79 ESPN began. And Vital has been there, I think it's 42 years. So not that I see him often because we do the same thing, but I actually started 42 years ago also because at Seton Hall, Bob Lee was the studio host during the NCAA tournament. And uh, it's one of my banquet stories that uh, hopefully you'll enjoy. Is Scotty Connell was the, the president of uh, ESPN. And I always tell the story that he and Bob Lee and a couple of other execs were sitting around saying, you know, we need an active coach during March to, to be, you know, sit here with Bob and talk about the games as they came in. It's a little different those days than it is now, obviously. And the, the caveat was, you know, we need an active coach that we know. And they met in November of that year. We need an active coach. We know he'll never make the NCAA tournament. And that was me. So, in 79, in March, I was in the studio with Bob Lee. I'm still coaching, 79-80. And then 80-81, the same thing. I was in the studio with Bob. And then, you know, 80, 
was it 81, 82, uh, Dave Gambit was nice enough to say, hey, if you'd like to do this announcing, I'm giving it up. He had been the analyst. So that's that's how the the deal started. And, you know, I haven't looked back since. I love that. That I did enjoy that story. Let's let's find a coach that's definitely not going to make the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were they were on solid ground, by the way. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll, I'm going to hand this over to Rick. Rick, take it from here, my man. Unbelievable, Bill. I've been loving every one of those stories. And it's so fascinating because, you know, all of those things that you did before you got into the booth, you played, you dominated when you were on the court in high school, you were drafted, then you coached at a high level. So you were gaining all of this basketball knowledge. So it's so obvious when we listen to you on CBS doing college basketball games, you know the sport. And then I want to talk about how passionate you are and how one of a kind, you know, your sayings have become and just well-known. Tell me about these fun, spirited, creative terms and sayings that you've come up with that are just so, so iconic. You know, it, it's probably your background more than anything. You know, I, I always say if you stay out late at night and the lights flicker in an establishment, you know, you're going to be with some characters. If you go to the racetrack, you're going to meet some characters. If you go to the golf course, you're going to meet some characters. And I just think it's a blend of who you piled around with in high school and college, uh, your family, certainly, uh, whether you know it or not, you know, your mom and dad come out of you somehow, uh, whether it's the way you look at life or the way you evaluate things. But uh, pretty much most of it is just, you know, something to be succinct in a broadcast, uh, you know, just a... Uh, informal way of being descriptive, I guess, as best fits. And so it's something where you write it down or a catchphrase. Uh, you know, I remember Al McGuire, we'd be sitting around and somebody would say something clever, clever, uh, an example, he, one guy one day said, now it's an athletic director's league, you know, versus the coaches league. And Al said, I like that. I'm going to use that tonight and there'll be no attribution. So, you know, I, I really haven't stolen anything from anybody, but uh, the enjoyment I have is really listening to so many analysts that, uh, you know, the way everybody's got their own way and personality uh, comes out during the broadcast, but hopefully it doesn't detract from the product and it's enjoyable for people. Well, it's enjoyable for me. And I know the listeners love hearing you in the booth, having so much fun. Give a few Give a few of them. I don't want to do them injustice and try to mimic them. Give me, lay a couple on our listeners. Nah, you help me. That'll be easier. All uh, right, fine. Let's, let's do this. I'll tell you how they started. Okay, go ahead. No, no, you give me one and I'll, I'll sort of tell you how, what, what it meant or why I use it. 1988, Jerome Lane, University of Pittsburgh, slam dunk, backboard shatters. Give me the reaction. Uh, probably awe at first because there's a, a you know, a, a pause between Mike Gorman's call because neither one of us had ever seen that, you know, it's, uh, I think Daryl Dawkins may have done it in high school prior, uh, but to witness it was like, you sort of shook your head and like, did that really happen? And Jerome for that era was a big, strong, tough kid. You know, now the kids have the weightlifting and all, but he had a frame, like a tight end frame and uh, a very, very good player on a great 
Pitt team. Sean Miller was the uh, catalyst of that fast break, and Charles Smith was on that. Uh, Matthews was on that team. These were good, good college basketball players and a couple of pros too. And it was just a reaction of, you know, like to say something that was descriptive and short and uh, send it in was just fit the time and popped into my head. Nothing, you know, who can anticipate that particular and that era too. Now it wouldn't be able to snap back rims, but you know, these guys are bigger, stronger, and there are more of them that can do what Jerome did. You know, he may have been one of two or three on Pitt's talented team that, you know, could elevate like that and had unbelievable muscle uh, to conclude the act. But that was, uh, and it's, it's like, a, you know, it's a flush, I think, is uh, Clark Kellogg's. Everybody has their own way of, uh, but, you know, you sort of mix it up a little bit here and there. Uh, but that's what that was, just a reaction to something that mere mortals uh, would not be able to do. Well, you encapsulated that moment so well. And decades later, it's one of the best calls in college basketball history. Tell me a little bit about maybe when somebody banks it off the backboard and they use a little bit of the glass. What's the call there? Give our listeners the call there. You know, it's uh, let me digress for one moment on, on Jerome. Years later, uh, ESPN had like a form down in Charlotte where they still have their studio, another studio, I should say. And they had a bunch of coaches and I had no idea it was the date, you know, an anniversary of Jerome Lane. I forget which one, whether it was 20 or 25. And anyhow, at the end of this segment, they have Jerome from Akron on a two-way. And uh, I hadn't seen him in years and he was telling us, you know, my, his son, uh, didn't think he could play basketball until he saw this thing air of him jamming it as a young guy. And he wanted to thank me for that. And then when he was ready to go, he said, Mr. Rav, thanks for making me famous. And I said, Jerome, thanks for helping me become somewhat famous, you know? So we had a, a cute little give and take on that one. But, uh, and then the other one is Sean Miller. Every time I see Sean Miller, he says, I made you famous. Because he's the one that made the pass that led to the send it in, Jerome. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> All right. So tell me a little bit about a backboard shot, something that banks off the glass. Tell me about the kiss. Well, I guess John Wooden, for memory, for, for other people, would be the guy that really worked hard on bank shots. Uh, but Sam Jones comes to mind for me, uh, the old Celtic who really had a great little shot. And it was nothing more than something descriptive instead of saying, you know, bank shot or, you know, whatever you might come up with, I don't know. But it was just a little with the kiss kind of thing and get the hell out and move on to the next play for the play-by-play -play man. So that was just something that sort of fit, uh, again, no memory of ever saying that before in my life. It's so perfect. We love it. I could go on and on and on with sayings, but I want to keep this gravy train rolling. You and I had the opportunity to meet, spend some time together in San Antonio in 2018 during the final four. My brother and I, the three of us, we are March Madness junkies. I know our listeners are. We touched on it a little bit earlier. Tell me what your thoughts are about March Madness as a whole. What, what like, what does it do for Bill Rafferty? 
Uh, I just hope they never touch it. Uh, you know, I've never been to Vegas during the first round, but they say it's just absolutely insanity. You know, they say if one thing in your life, maybe you two guys should do it. It'd be a great podcast, I think, going out there. Maybe not this year because of the pandemic and everything, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of nutty basketball fans, you know, that just live for the moment, even if their team's not in the tournament. And that's a different way of sending it in, you might say, too, you know, depending on a game. But, uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, I was never able, I always went to the NCAA tournament as a coach. I could never get my team there. Uh, so there was no envy or jealousy, but it was like, boy, that's got to be a great feeling to have your team here. Uh, although, uh, when, in I guess, 76, in Philly, I was with my high school coach, and he was coaching, where was he then? St. Peter's College at that point. And I was at Fairley, uh, excuse me, I was at Seton Hall then. And uh, we're, we're like the last row at the spectrum. Like we're, we're as high as you can get. And they had birds that used to fly around. I mean, seriously, they, that was their home. And uh, I said, coach, we're in the middle of a game, the semifinal. I said, coach, move your arms. He said, what do you mean? I said, move your arms so the pigeons know that we're alive and don't do something that's, you know, that, <laughs> something that would make this whole deal more complex. But anyhow, so we went from, uh, I went from the last row of the spectrum uh, to uh, the front row with Jim. Well, uh, before I get to Jim, uh, the radio, I did the radio with John Thompson, God bless him. And a lot of great announcers, Ron Franklin, Kevin Kugler, Kevin Harlan, different guy, Dave Sims. Um, we, we just had, you know, such a great time that I, I had what Jim had with Billy Packer, you know, a, a great seat at this unbelievable spectacle and uh, living through the heartbreak for those that lost. And of course the ecstasy for the team and followers of the team that won. So uh, it was really a, a nice, uh, could, unfortunately, we couldn't get our team there, but uh, uh, it's a nice little uh, fallback position. Yeah, not a bad seat, not a bad spot to watch some of the best basketball players each April. Just so cool that you get to do that. We love what you do. You bring so much joy to us and to millions of listeners and viewers around the world. So, Bill, I'm going to get you out of here on a fun one before I pass it back over to Rob to close things out today. But I want you to think about this long and hard, or maybe short <laughs> and hard, but here we go. You have worked with so many fantastic broadcasters alongside you in the booth, and many of them have had a great basketball career, either in college or in the pros. You know, I think of Grant Hill and Jay Billis. So here's my question. If you had to make a starting five lineup. Of, oh, you're good. This is not fair. I know where this is going. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> if you could make a starting five lineup, and of course those guys I just mentioned, Grant Hill, probably Jay Billis, maybe a few others are going to be in that starting lineup. Maybe not. Here's my question. Is Jim Nance cracking your starting five? Yes or no? And why? Well, Jim would be the president, uh, I guess, treasurer. <laughs> uh, you know, J Jim's, 
you know, Jim's image comes on the screen and everybody knows he's the voice of CBS. And uh, without, you know, denigrating anybody, you know, Vern and I were together forever, uh, loved every minute. I, I don't think I've had a, I know I haven't had a partner that wasn't enjoyable and had the best interests of the game at heart. And, uh, you know, Jim, interestingly enough, when he started at CBS, I did the first games with him, the first two. And uh, the first studio engagement he had, I was in the studio with him. So from that, you know, we played a little golf here and there. And, you know, unfortunately, as the years went on, you'd only see him at the seminar, you know, you know just before the tournament would start. And uh, just to be back with him uh, is special. You know, I, I like working with people that are older than me. Don't tell Jim I said that. But, uh, you know, and then you throw Grant into the, into the mix. It's, uh, it's just an amazing opportunity for all of us. Uh, we all feel the same way about the game, that that's the most important thing. Uh, it's a great team where you just want to do the right thing at the right moment and, you know, share it. Like, make sure you don't hog the microphone kind of a deal. But uh, it, it's I've been I've been very lucky. You know, you mentioned Jay, Jay Bellis, you know, Sean, Jay and I did Big Monday. And, uh, you know, a lot of the restaurants in those cities we went to probably are still upset that we're not doing it because we did, you know, bang the register for a lot of those local places. But uh, we had that sixth overtime game in New York, uh, the three of us. And uh, I think when both of them are asked you know, what's one of the games we all say the same thing. I, I honestly think, and I've said this to Sean McDonough, that game made his career. Now you say, what are you talking about? He would have been fine, but I think ESPN realized, boy, we got somebody really good here. And uh, anyway, one other finish to that story, a writer called me the next day and uh, you know, he's talking about the game. And he said, you know, what time did you get, you know, out of the, you know, three o'clock, whatever time we got out of there, 2.30, I think in the morning. And I said, it's the first time I've been in New York till 2.30 in the morning and my wife wasn't mad at me, you know, normally <laughs> stopping for a little pop or two uh, along the way. But, you know, the, the great thing about play-by-play -play guys, uh, the homework they do, and like you, you guys too in your preparation for this, and they make it seamless, that, that's what's incredible where, you know, there's hours and hours that go into one game uh, for all of us. But the play-by-play -play guy, besides the mechanics, you know, he has to orchestrate, uh, keep it going. And uh, all of the guys I've mentioned, I'm not leaving anybody out, hopefully, but, you know, Ian Eagle and I did the Nets for years and we are very good friends. They're just the consummate pros, these guys. And, uh, you know, they're, they're keepers, and that's why they've lasted, you know, the test of time, basically. Well, you're a keeper, too, Bill. We really love having you on. Rob wants to wrap up with one final question. Thank you so much, Bill. Rob, put a bow on this bad boy. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. You know, that previous question you asked, Rick, I don't know if we got a yes or no if Jim Nance cracks the starting five, but I'm not going to I'm not going to put the full court press. Over. You're going to push the envelope. I'm not going to put the full court press on this one. Let me just say that uh, he would be the owner of the five, maybe. Would, you know what I mean? Like he would be the whatever owner, the president, the, yeah, the, the sure. general manager, everything. <laughs> right. Love it. Awesome, cool, well, Bill. Um, you know, 
we're going to get you out of here. In 2016, uh, your son, Billy, produced and narrated an amazing documentary chronicling uh, your 2015 Final Four with Duke and Wisconsin and in, in Indy. Um, tell our listeners about it and how much fun it was to work with your son on this project. Uh, you know, basically, he did the whole thing, as you know. Uh, you know, it was his idea. He sold it to CBS. Uh, just, you know, bringing back some memories as he went down to the hometown and incorporated so many people who were, you know, important to me and in my life and certainly professional career. Uh, but it was, you know, he's, he was in Africa. This is how this all started. He went to Colombia, he went to Africa and served people there for five years. And in the middle of the five years, they used to build the basketball courts to unite all these different groups. Uh, you know, the different, there's like seven or eight different actually uh, groups of people, uh, you know, because as you follow the African change, you know, Mandela and everything else. So that, that was like ongoing. And uh, Billy decided uh, he met this professor who took care of homeless children. And he wanted to know uh, if Billy would help show the world how bad it is for these children. And that's how he started in the film career. And it was just, uh, he was, you know, award-winning, uh, you know, documentary that he did. But anyhow, that's how that started. Now he came back, uh, you know, to, to the States to start his life career here at any rate. And uh, he came up with this idea, let's give it a shot. And CBS was very, you know, kind and so many people jumped in and uh, helped him, uh, whether uh, chronicle, you know, our background or our careers. And, you know, it was very, very, it's funny, I, I came from a, uh, uh, a Big East game, a tournament game, and nobody was there by that. When I came back to the hotel, it was one of those weird things. The guys were working locally, that, so they went home, but I was staying at the hotel and, and I went to the bar for something to eat, like a last, you know, and I, I look up and the, the, with the kisses on and I'm sitting there all alone watching this thing. And it was like uh, the first time that it probably hit home uh, watching it. So, uh, you know, it, it was very touching and our family got a big bang out of it. Love that. Wow, Bill. I mean, I've had chills this whole podcast and that last little bit about being there in the bar and watching it and having it hit home. I can only imagine what that's been like and what this amazing roller coaster has been like. Rob and I just wish you so much health and so much fun over the next couple of months and years. Uh, we wish we could listen to you on the basketball, calling the games for the rest of our lives and you're just such a great guy, Bill. We can't thank you enough for coming on today's podcast. We've had so much fun. Thank you so much, Bill. Hey, Rick and Bobby, really nice young man. And we need more people like you guys. So keep it up. And, you know, hopefully this will uh, be a great run for you guys as well. Uh, well, we appreciate that, especially when we can get a fellow New Jerseyan on a podcast. For all you listeners out there, I'm Rick Brandt. And I'm Rob Brandt. And we're the Brothers Brandt. Thanks for listening. Bill, that was awesome. All right, guys. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Nice getting together with you again. You know, pleasure. Bye. It was all, okay. all all ours. We'll uh, we'll stay in touch and maybe yeah, keep uh, in touch. Let me know next, how you guys are doing. We'll let you know time. when we're down in uh, West Palm. 
Oh, that's a deal. <laughs> great, Bill. Take care, care, guys. Bye-bye now. Oh, have a great day. Bye. You too. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.